1: or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word.
0: This thought. Do you really realize... The privilege it is to be a Christian. I mean, we can say, oh yeah, Pastor, I I really realize that. No, do we really fully understand and realize the privilege it is for us to be a Christian? And do we appreciate that? Do we grab a hold of that? Because we discovered last week that in order to have the name Christian, people had to give everything. It cost them their lives. It cost them everything, every part of them. It was that which took, in order for them to be labeled as little Christians, little Christ, little Jesuses. And you and I have got the awesome opportunity to represent God in that manner and to be the children, to be the Christians that he wants us to be. And unfortunately, Christian for many of us is a title. It's a badge that we wear. Can you turn me down? I'm really loud. It's a title. It's a badge that we wear. It's a name that is given to us. But God wants us to be salt and light. Say that with me, salt and light salt and light. In other words, he wants us to be the example. You see, it's easy for us to come in here and lift our hands and praise God. And that's great. But listen, what happens when we step out of those doors? What happens when we go into our cars, into our workplaces, into our homes? That's where we truly need to be the example for Christ. Because people in here are going to be told the gospel if they don't already know it. But people out there don't know it unless we unless we tell them. And the greatest way I believe that you and I can tell people is by showing them, by showing them, by being the example, by the lifestyle that we live. The title of our message today is this, Hi, I'm an orange tree. Hi, I'm an orange tree. Why would you say that, Pastor Philip? For this reason, are you ready? How many of you have ever walked past an orange tree and realized it's an orange tree because it has a sign out in front of it? You don't do that, Steve. You don't do that. Why don't you do that? Because there's no sign, but there is what? There is fruit. It's fruit that identifies what God wants us to be in our lives. And here's how most of us do. Most of us walk around life like this. It's with a Bible or we're like super spiritual and we've got texts and we're like, Hi, I'm a Christian. I think if you have to have a sign telling people that you're a Christian... You're not doing a good job. Come on, you're not doing a good job. I'm just going to leave this right here and it's probably going to fall over. But that's cool. I want you to think about that. Because what should represent us to everyone else around? is not the sign that we carry, but the life that we live. The example that we are. Because an orange tree doesn't have to say, hey, I'm an orange tree you know it because you see the fruit. It needs to be the same as a Christian. The fruit of our lives needs to be such that people know, wow, I know who they live for. I know who they serve. I want some of that because we create a hunger and a thirst in people by the life and the actions that we live. And I want to begin today with a powerful scripture that Jesus gives in Luke chapter 13 and verse 22 through 28, really discovering what I want to call the truth of our salvation, our experience that we need to have with God. In Luke 13, verse 22, and I'm sorry, the screen may come up. If not, you'll just have to follow with your Bibles and just listen and trust me, I'm telling you the truth. And it says this, And Jesus went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Say with me, Jerusalem. Now, the passage of Scripture could easily say that Jesus just went on journeying. But the passage is very distinct. It's very descriptive. It says that Jesus went through the cities and the villages, teaching, journeying towards Jerusalem. Why was Jerusalem mentioned so important? Because intentionally, he was on his way to the cross to die for you and I. It would be in Jerusalem that he would give his life and sacrifice his life for mankind. So think about this. It's starting, the story, the illustration is starting that while he's on a mission to save mankind from hell... He still was on his mission to live out his life on this earth. Come on, every one of us, each and every day, need to be on our way to Jerusalem. Not to give our lives, but on the mission of life that God has called us to as we serve God and we live for God in our lives. And on the way to Jerusalem, someone came to him, verse 23 of Luke 13, and said to him, Lord, are there few who will be saved? New Living Translation says, Lord, will only be a few be saved? Why would a question like that be asked? Because Jesus clearly has taught, come unto me whosoever, he that hath ears, let him hear. But yet someone is questioning, God, is everyone going to be saved? Is there just going to be a few? I'm telling you why he would say that. And the reason why the question would be asked was because the life of Jesus reflects two very important truths. What we see in the ministry of Jesus is this, point number one, are you ready? True discipleship comes with many difficult challenges. It wasn't just give your life to Christ and then everything would be okay. Jesus spoke about the challenges that would come as a result of the challenges. That's why the question has been said, is there only going to be a few? Why? Because any fish can swim with the flow. But not every fish can swim against the flow. Everyone can go along with what everyone else is doing, but it takes someone to stand up and say, listen, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. We're not going to engage in that conversation. We're not going to look at that. We're not going to go there. Why? Because discipleship comes with a challenge. There's a challenge for each and every one of us. And perhaps today in our societies, we see a greater challenge than ever before. Come on. There's so many challenges today that can make us compromise the word of God. And and I think of compromise as this, that we just hold on lightly to something. Come on, we're barely holding on to it. It's like we want to compromise where we're at with God so we can say we just have enough of Jesus. But then we've got a whole lot of everything else too. Come on, compromise wants to hold on lightly to God but grab a hold of the things of this world. And what do we know? The things of this world will begin to override yes. the things of God. A little compromise won't stop at a compromise. It will grow and grow. And the thing that's not growing is your example for Christ. That's yes. diminishing. But everything else has taken a greater precedence and a place. Why? Because compromise is a slippery slope. Yes. Yes. Downwards. Yes. What else do we see from Jesus? First and foremost, it was tough. It was hard. Secondly was this. There was large crowds that came, but only a few followed. Only a few followed. Everywhere Jesus went, he drew a crowd. I mean, he was incredible. There was no one like Jesus. People came from everywhere and anywhere to hear Jesus. But what do we see? All listened, but only a few heard. Only a few heard. Everyone wanted the reward, but not everyone was willing to pay the price. And as we see and we read on, Jesus explains it this way, as a narrow gate. So that's why someone is saying, Jesus, is there only meant to be? That's what he's saying. Is there really just meant to be a few? Because the price is hard at times. Come on, it's not the crowd that wants to go that way, but those who want a desire to follow. Is that why there's only going to be a few? Jesus goes on and says, strive to enter, verse 24, through the narrow gate. In the New Living Translation, I love it. It says this, the door to heaven is narrow. The door to heaven is narrow. For many I, will, many, I say to you, will seek to enter, but they will not be able. Many want to enter, but they will not be able. I just want you to know something. That's not by God's choice. That's not by God's choice. That's by our choice. Because the Bible clearly says God doesn't will that any should perish but that all should have everlasting life. God has made it possible for everyone to experience life, but He also requires at our choice. It's our choosing. It's our choice to determine what we want, which answers the question like most people have asked. How could a gracious, loving, heavenly Father ever sentence someone to hell? He doesn't. Come on, we pronounce that sentence upon ourselves. We pronounce that sentence upon ourselves because He has made a way. For each and every one of us. And it goes on to say that when the master of the house has risen up and he has shut or locked the door. And you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, literally pleading, Lord, Lord, open for us. He will answer to you saying, I do not know you. Where are you from? Pretty powerful scripture right here. Pretty powerful. You see, the Jewish customs of that day when it came to a wedding feast was this there would be an invitation that could be sent out months ahead of time. And what would happen is during the wedding ceremony, they would get married, and then there could be a period of hours or maybe even days before they actually had the reception. And what it was your responsibility as an invited guest to do was to be ready. Jesus talked about the parable of the ten foolish virgins and the wise ones, those that were prepared, those that were ready. Because at any time the bride and groom could come and then the door would be opened and the party would begin. But they wouldn't just leave the door open because at a certain time the door would be closed. So what do we see? Everyone who was invited, the invite wasn't just enough. You still had to show up. You still had to be on time. You had to still be ready. In verse 26, and please listen to what's been said here. Then you will begin to say, but Jesus, we ate and drank with you in your presence and you taught us in the streets. God, God, we had a life together. We had a social existence together. But I went to church, I paid my tithes, I lifted my hands and I sang. God says, but there's something more important. It's something more important. It's knowing him as Lord and Savior. Not having a casual conversation and a life with him. But it's truly knowing him. Verse 27. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And here's where I really wanted to get to in the passage today. Not meaning that anything else is not important because that is so important. Verse 28 says that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be great weeping is the thought, a gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourself are thrust out. Thrust out. Just listening to Jesus, to his words and admiring his miracles wasn't enough. We have to turn from our sins and we have to trust God. We have to give Him everything with our lives. We've got to be the salt and light that He wants us to be. Because you've got to understand something. These people that Jesus was talking about that were having weeping and gnashing of teeth, those who were going to be thrown into hell, into outer darkness, separation forever for God, were those who were convinced that they were going to make it. Come on, they were convinced that they were going to make it. They convinced that they had done what was required. They were convinced that the life of service or the acknowledgement of Christ in their life was enough for what they had done. What does that tell us? It tells us that not every church goer, not everyone who calls themselves a Christian is going to make it to heaven. And we've got to realize this and we've got to know this. And that's why there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Think about that. Weeping and gnashing. The anguish of the fact of feeling that you had made it and done enough. But at the last minute to be told, Sorry, I don't even know you. I don't know you. You're not known of me. Your name is not in the Lamb's book of life. The Message Bible says they will be put out in the cold and they will become strangers to grace. In total dismay, in total surprise, in total shock, in total horror. So here's the question today. If we're going to be salt and light, does God know us? Are we really known by God or do we just know in God? Do we really know Him? Do we just know of a God or are we known by God? Are we living for Him? Are we truly being the salt and light? This is a challenge that I believe we need through this message. Because if we're going to go out and tell people about a God and He's going to be seen through our lives, we better make sure the God that we're showing them is the God that we read of in the Word of God. Because if not, guess what? We're building disciples of people. Who on that day, the same words will be said, I don't know who you are. Get out from my presence. Are you and I truly living the Christian life? And that's why, over the next month, we're going to be looking at the characteristics of Christianity, if you want to say that way. What needs to be evident in our life, the nuts and the bolts to speak of, of our Christian faith. How it needs to be lived out through each one of our lives. How it looks like. Last week we talked about Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Remember that scripture? If you don't, let's read it again from the New Living Translation. And it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies... Come on, say with me everything. He's pleading with you. Give everything to God. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind that God will accept when you think of all He has done for you. Is this too much to ask? Verse 2 Don't copy, don't compromise the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into, come on, say with me, a new person. Come on, say, new person. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, your heart. Then, then, then. You will know what God wants you to do. How will we know what God wants us to do? By being a living example, not compromising our lives and being fashioned and formed like the world and doing what all the world is doing, but standing up and being the salt and the light. Then we'll know what God wants us to do and how to live. And then you will know how good and pleasing and perfect His will really is. What does that mean? How fulfilling and satisfying living for Him really is. Come on, that doesn't sound like a restricted life to me. Come on, I said that doesn't sound like a restricted life to me or constrained. Oh, there's some no-go zones and some no-go areas. But those no-go areas are for our protection and for the blessing of our lives. The Christian life is the greatest life. And if you can't agree with me, you need to get saved. You need to live the life because it's the greatest life. Remember when Satan came to Eve in the garden? Right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, God had spoken to Adam and Eve and said, You can have anything and everything you want, save what? One thing. What did Satan come in and say to Eve? Did God really say that you cannot eat of that what? One thing. Notice what Satan wants to focus on in our lives. He wants us to focus on the restrictions and not see the freedoms and the liberties. Come on, God had given them everything but one thing. What's the one thing they wanted? The one thing that they couldn't have. Because that's the nature of man. Don't allow your Christian walk to be focused on the fact of what we can't do and what we're not able to do. Because there's a whole lot more greater things that you can do. And the peace and the comfort and the joy. I'm sick and tired of the church today being known about what we don't stand for instead of what we really are in God. Come on. It's all about the laws and the rules. Oh, you can't do that and you can't do this. It's all about the restrictions. But there is liberty that we can have in God. and freedom that we can experience when we live out the life for Him. And that's what we want, the freedom of Christ. In my Bible, Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 9, it says this as a title, Behaving Like a Christian. When I read something like that, I'm like, Man, I need to know some stuff here. Because when it's telling me this is the behavior of a Christian, I need to know. And we're going to look at that today. And the first characteristic we're going to look at today is love. Come on, say with me, love. Love. Romans 12, verse 9 and 10 says this. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor... Giving preference to one another. What a great picture of love that we've just seen in those few verses. It speaks about living a pure life. Not having hypocrisy in your life. Standing against evil. Being a cheerleader of good. Having affection for others. Giving honour to those around and always putting others first. How many would say that's a pretty good description of what we need to live in our lives? That's what love wants to do for each one of our lives. Listen from the New Living Translation. It says this, Do not just pretend that you love others. There's a lot of people that do that today. Come on, we're not just about playing the part. We're not just about faking it to making it. Come on, because if you're going to fake it, there's going to be a time where your fake's going to come to an end. Come on, and, and, the, and the mask's going to come down, and people are going to see who you really are. But I want to tell you right now, people already know who you are people already see who you are. They already know. Why? Because if they're not asking you about God, if they're not interested in what you're saying about God, then maybe you're not the real deal that you need to be. Because I believe that we should live such attractive lives that people want to know what we're all about. What do they say? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. That's a lie. Feed that horse salt tablets. Create a thirst inside of that baby. And that baby's going to be drinking and drinking and drinking. Create a thirst because we're salt and we're light to the world. Create that thirst. Don't just pretend that you love other people. Really love them. I love that. Really love them. And if you wonder how, he tells us how. Hate what is wrong and stand on the side of what is good. How do you love people? Make a stand. Come on, make a stand. Make a stand for what is good and turn away from that which is wrong love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other we can't talk about love without going to first corinthians chapter 13 first corinthians chapter 13 the love chapter says this the first 3 verses we're not even going to get into the nuts and bolts really of it read it for yourself but we're going to understand the importance of love come on say with me the importance of love the necessity of love in behaving like a christian there has to be love in my life verse 1 though i speak with tongues of men and of angels literally if i spoke any language but i have not love come on but i have not love i have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal i'm just making a meaningless noise in other words just annoying Can I turn to your neighbor say are you annoying come on are you annoying You know, annoying noise. Ah! That's an annoying noise. Come on, hear that for long enough. That's an annoying noise. Okay, that's not what God has called us to be. Verse 2, and though I have the gift of prophecy, and I understand all mysteries, and I have all knowledge, and though I have faith that I could remove mountains. Come on, how many knows? That's a pretty powerful person that's been described there. But if I have not love, guess what? I am Nothing. In other words, all that matters nothing if I do not possess the love of God in my life. Verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, in other words, to martyr my life and to give everything that I could so I can boast to everyone around, look at me, look what I've done. But the Bible says, but if I have not love. There's no profit. There's no gain from those things. Those things are of no value. Don't get me wrong. Those things are important, but those things are nothing if I do not have love. So what person do we see described in those three verses? A person who has angelic conversation. A person who's operating in spiritual gifts, whose faith is so strong that they're removing mountains. Come on. Those who are giving everything to the poor and even willing to die for the courts. The Bible says if that type of person is all you are, but you don't have love, it's nothing. You're wasting your time. God's not impressed. You're going to be one of those people that he says, who are you? You're going to be the one with the weeping and gnashing of teeth because God's going to say, I never knew you. But God, I did all this for you and I served you and I did all. That's what the first passage we talked about. God, we hung out, we walked together, we talked. And God says, if there's not a personal relationship, then all those things are nothing. Then I love the first verse of the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. New Living Translation says this, Let love be your highest goal. The King James says, Pursue it. Seek after it, ask for it, long for it, desire. Let love be that which you pursue. Let all your life and your energies be put into love. I want to give you quickly today five reasons why love is so important to be the salt and the light that God has called us to be. Why love is so important. Point number one, love is the only way that you can truly know God. We could stop right there because, I mean, there's nothing else of greater importance than that. But you can't know God without knowing love. And it's not just for you to know God, but remember, your life is an example to other people around. So in you knowing God through love, others can know God through the love that you have and the witness and the testimony through the salt and the light that you have. You see, until you really truly know love, you can't fully give love. You can't. There's no way. Be around some people. Come on, you know some people. Maybe this is your testimony. You were brought up in a family that your parents didn't love you. They didn't embrace you. They didn't tell you that they loved you. Your parents, when they got married, they told each other they loved each other and they just lived under the understanding. If that changes, I'll let you know. But until then, just know that I've loved People grow up today in a loveless home. So guess what happens? They don't know how to express love themselves. They struggle with that because they've never seen it. They've never experienced it. So it's hard to give something that you don't know. Come on, you can give a part of it and you can read up on it. And we watch TV shows and we listen to articles and and we write things and we have thoughts and we ask people all around. But you know what? Thank God for the influence that we can have from other people. But many times it's the wrong influence. So if we don't know love, we need to know love. What do I mean by that? We need to know God. Because God is love. 1 John 4, verse 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and what? Knows God. How do we know God? Through His love. Verse 8, For he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is not, love is not what God does. Love is who He is. So why do we need love in our lives? Because that's the only way we can truly know God. We've got to have His love in our lives. We can know God through love. And then we can know love through God. A love that must be expressed and present. The type of love that goes beyond you, your thoughts, your feelings, your desires. Because love, this type of love we're talking about is not a feeling, it's a choice. True love is a choice that it's touching other people. It's a choice with an action that's connected to it. It's pure. It's God's love. It's intentional. Come on, the love of God is intentional it works for each one of our lives let's be honest today there's a big problem in the world that we live in when it comes to love a big problem today people are struggling to put all the pieces together of what we've labeled today as love we have a fractured love given off various differing interpretations but never fully meeting the needs of people You have people looking for love here, but they can't find it. So they're looking for love here. They're looking for love here. There's only one place you can find true love, and that's in Jesus. When you meet love face to face and heart to heart. Listen to what I read this week. Our world, with its shallow and selfish view of love, has turned God's word around and contaminated our understanding of what true love is. The world thinks that love is what makes a person feel good and that it's okay to sacrifice your moral principles and others' rights in order to obtain such love. But that's not real love. In fact, it's the exact opposite because that's selfishness. And God is not that kind of love. Real love is like God. What do we know about God? A God who is holy, just, and perfect. One who gives everything away. Because if we truly know God, we will love as He does. You want to know how to love your kids? Love God. You want to know how to treat your spouse and your wife and your husband? You know how you want to treat them right? Love God. You know how you want to treat your employees and that neighbor who annoys you to death, right? Love God. Because when you begin to love him, his love will flow out from you and you'll begin to realize, God, if you loved someone like me, God, you can love someone like them because you'll begin to realize the same grace that God gave to your life is the same grace that you need to give out to other people's life. Because, But for love, come on, we probably wouldn't like you today. Come on now. Let's be real. Some of you weren't nice people. Don't look at your neighbor, but some of you still ain't nice people. You need the love of God because love will change everything. Why do we need love? So we can know God. And then, in knowing God, the God of love, we can then give love to everyone else around. Here's the second reason we need love. Are you ready? We need love as our identity. Love is that which gives us our identity. A lot of people today are struggling with their identity. Who am I? Where do I belong? Where do I fit in? I believe love is that which gives us an identity of knowing where we belong. John 13, verse 35 says, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love. One for another. What do we see? That which identifies us as a follower, as a Christian, as a man or woman of God is the love that we have. We can find a family through the love of God. We can find a future through the love of God. That's our identity wherever we go. The distinguishing factor of our Christian experience must be the love that we have. You've heard me say this, but as a leadership group in this church, a number of years ago, we said if there was one thing that we could do and only one thing that we could do well, what would it be as a church? And we came to the conclusion, and that was this, loving people. Loving people. Being an atmosphere where people come in and they are Loved. Come on, I want that to be our identity, that people know that we serve God because there's love in our lives and it connects us to God and in turn will connect them to God. Come on, it's our ID badge. Come on, it IDs who we are and who we belong to. It says we're salt and light. Why? Because we love God and therefore that's who we are. Come on, we've got too many double agent Christians who on a Sunday, they put, they get into the Phone booth and they become Superman and Superwoman, but for the rest of the week they look like a nerdy geek with their glasses on and trying to struggle through life and make it come on. You're a superhuman and superhero in Christ, and we've got to show forth the greatness and the goodness of God. Not wearing a sign, are we? We're living the life, we're being the fruit that God has called us to be. Is this okay today? Third reason we need love in our life. Wow, this is important. Turn to your neighbour, say, this is important. We need love in our life because it directs our life. I need direction in my life. I need constant direction. My wife reminds me of that all the time. And, and I don't know how I would make it without my wife. And I don't want to try. I don't know how I drive without my wife. Anyone with me with that? I don't know how I make it when she's not there beside me. I just don't know how I make it. I mean, goodness me, I mean, what happens? I mean, but you know what? Thank God for the direction that we all need in our life when it comes to our behavior and it becomes to our response. But I believe it's love that will direct us on how we need to live. Remember the verse we read from Romans chapter 12, verse 9? It said, let love be without hypocrisy. Come on, we don't just say something, we say and do something. Because hypocrisy is to say one thing but yet do the complete opposite. By love, we say and do the same thing things. But notice how love wants to direct our lives because it's very clear. It says, turn away from evil and that which is evil. Stand opposed to that which is evil. And guess what? Cling to that which is good. Grab a hold of what's good and turn away. That's the direction I need. I need to know what to turn away from and I need to know what to hold on to in my life. Why? Because love cannot excuse wrong. True love cannot excuse wrong. There has to be an answer to those things. New Living Translation says, love will cause you to hate what's wrong and to stand on the side of good. And I really feel that we need direction in this today, especially as we've seen the culture shift. And you know what I'm talking about. The culture has shifted all around us today. And there's a lot of acceptance of of sin today. And in the result and in the presence of what's happened around us, we're the ones that are being labeled as judgmental. We're the ones today that has been labelled as not representing a God of love, that we are so unloving. Which is the furthest thing from the truth. It's the furthest thing from the truth. But one thing I will say is this, that love does require a standard. Come on, love has a standard. It is a standard that we need to live by. Listen to this scripture, John 8 verse 11. Then she said, here's the lady who's been caught in the act of adultery. She has been thrown at the feet of Jesus by the religious leaders saying, this woman is caught in the act of adultery. What do you say we do to her? The Bible says that Jesus got down and he drew in the sand. It doesn't tell us what he drew in the sand, but he said these words as he went down. He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Went down and drew in the sand and when he stepped up, there was no one else left except just this lady Everyone had left, everyone had gone. And Jesus said to her, where are all your accusers? And here's where she says, Lord, there is no one really save only you. There's no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. But notice the next part. But go and sin no more. One translation says, leave your life of sin. What do we see here? Jesus loved her. Come on, He loved her, but He didn't accept her behavior. He did not accept her behavior, which certainly didn't make Him unloving, as He is love. Because what do we know from God's Word? Jesus accepts everyone, but not everyone's behavior. He he has a way for everyone, but there has to be some changes that takes place. He loved the person but hated the sin. What did he do? He made a stand against the practice of sin in the lives of other people. And I'm telling you, here's a truth from God's word. Are you ready? How will they know unless we tell them? Well, you see, I need love in my life to be the direction because I can turn around and say, well, I'm just going to go along with everything they're doing because then I can show that God loves them and I can just take... Listen, that's not showing love because love wants to direct us to know what's right and what's wrong. And we need to be the example to other people around us. Too many people, or we're called to speak the truth in love, But I'm telling you, there's a whole lot of people who like just to speak the truth. Come on, they just love speaking the truth. They love to condemn everyone. Come on, we've got to speak the truth in love. And God directs the decisions that we make, the words that we say, the actions that we take. In all of that, I really believe that when we live right and God directs our lives, God will be seen through the life that we take and the life that we make. Is it unloving if my son is going towards the stove and there's a fire on there for me to scream and say stop? It's not unloving. What normally happens? The kids cry. They're afraid. Or at first they're like mad because they, want, they don't always understand what you're trying to say. Come on parents, you know what it's like to correct your kids. They don't understand it so they're like mad at you. They're like resistant to you. But there's going to be a day where they're going to understand. And guess what? They're going to say Thank you. But what if we just let them get away with everything and do everything? You see, love is that which needs to direct our lives into what? So we know what to do and what not to do, what to hold on to and what to release. There has to be an example of our lives because we're called to be salt and light. Matthew five sixteen. So let your light so shine that they may see your good works, the direction of your life, the choices that you are making. And guess what? They'll see God as a result of that that they'll see your good works. I wonder today what good works looks like. What do you think God would want those good works to look like? Do you think it's just going along with everyone and saying, "Oh, that's OK? Do you think those good works involve compromise? Do you think those good works involve accepting everything, turning a blind eye things when you have the opportunity to speak the truth that you just don't? Do you think that's the good works that Jesus is speaking about? I don't think so. I think it's a godly life that has godly morals and godly standards that says, you know what, I love you, but I can't go there. And here's why I can't. And in love, we tell them and we warn them of the pitfalls. Why? Because I need love in my life, not only to direct me, but I can be the direction to other people. I believe that we can show people God through the way that we love them, the behavior of our life. And that means sometimes saying no, I won't go, I won't do, I won't be. Here's a question for every one of you if you're struggling with this. Do you think it's possible to make someone happy that you tell them that they're wrong? Do you think it's possible to make someone happy when you tell them they're wrong? Most times it's not. But think about this. Think about someone who thinks that they've received a check for $1,000. And you tell them, no, you're wrong. That check's really for $100,000. You think they're going to be upset with you for correcting them in that manner? They're going to be excited. You see, when we correct people in the right manner, we're telling them, don't worry about a $1,000 when there's a what a limitless supply that you can have in God. We're presenting them with a greater truth than they could ever dream of or imagine in their life. So as we let love direct us, guess what? We become a signpost that we show people Christ. You see, when people don't know what we stand for, we're pointing every direction. But when we make a stand and people know, they're going to know where to come when they're in trouble. They're going to know where to come when there's a problem. They're going to know where to come. It's love. It's love. It's love. I'm almost done. Only 29 more. Only plan. Say with me, salt and light. You know why we need love, number four? Because love is that which makes us genuine. Because He tells us to love without hypocrisy. Remember Romans 12, verse 9? True love is not fake or it's not fickle. It will stand up to the test. Come on, we need genuine people. We need real people today. Everyone is looking for someone real today. Everyone is looking for someone they can trust today. An example that they can follow. I just received an email today from a young lady that's just recently started attending our church. And I love it. It says, you know, I never expected to find this. A church that its people are so real And to find people like me, who have gone through the things that I have been through, who don't mind talking about them and offering help and support to someone like me. I never expected people like that at Heart Family Life Church. People who were willing to get down and dirty in the trenches, to pull people out. And those, to pull people out who have found their lives stuck. I'm just totally overwhelmed right now. Come on, the love of God is that which makes us real. People should be able to look at you. Come on, that's right, let's give it up for God. People should be able to look at you and say, what is it about you? I know what it was like at school to have all the kids laugh at me in a group. But I also knew what it was like to have, when we were one-on-one, that someone would say, you know what, I really respect for what you make a stand for. And I know I even had young men say this to me at school, I know what you stand for is true. And one day, I'm going to make that decision. But for right now, I'm just having too much fun. Life is too much fun. Why? Because all they saw was the restrictions. They didn't see the liberty because they didn't truly know God. So they didn't know love. And to not know love, that's all that you would see. But it makes you genuine. And the last thing that I think is very important about love that we see from Romans 12... And the last part of verse 10 is love produces honor in your life. It says, in honor, give in preference to one another. If you want to know what honor is, I believe honor is just another way of saying, I choose to put others first. I like that. I choose to put others first. I want to look to add value to those who come in contact with me. I want to make a difference in their life. And I challenge you this week, go home, get a concordance out. Look in the scripture for everywhere you find honor. And I'm telling you, not every time, but most times, any time that you'll find honor, around it somewhere attached to it is blessing that comes that when you honor. When you put others first, there's a blessing that comes. Because honor is always, or mostly attached to blessing. Blessing, blessing. So what have we seen today? We're salt and light. We're salt and light. Just coming to church doesn't mean we're going to make it. Because there's, we're going to be weeping and gnashing of peace, teeth, as God's going to say, I don't know you. It's having a love relationship with God. It's repenting, asking forgiveness, living a life that is given over to God. And when we have such a life, we need to make sure that we've got our love in our lives. That what? that we will know God through love. A love that will identify us and give us a meaning in our lives, that will direct our lives, to help us to live by a standard, to hold on to what's good, but to stay away from that which is wrong, to be the example to those around us, to make us genuine and real, that we will produce honor, that will put other people ahead of us. You see, love is not only being. But most importantly, love is doing. It's doing. It's doing. Come on, God wants us to be salt and light. And it's time as a church, as individuals, that we are the salt and light that God has called us to do. And it starts with us having true love in our hearts. True love in our hearts. Because I'm telling you, when God truly places a love in your heart, you're going to see everyone else around you differently. You're going to see them as a soul. You're going to see them as a precious person that you want to make sure that God loves them and that God has placed you in their life for a reason, to tell them about Him, to be His light. Why? Because I've never seen a sign on an orange tree because it's just the fruit. So I don't need to wear the sign. I need to live the life. Would you stand to your feet today? God, we thank you today. Thank you for the challenge of your word today. Thank you that your word brings hope, your word brings life, your word brings truth into our lives. God, I pray for each and everyone here today that we would not just act like and just walk like. Because the sayings out there, if it looks like, if it sounds like, if it quacks like, then it's a duck. But God, if we look like and we walk like and we quack like, doesn't make us a Christian if our heart's not right. And if our heart's not in God. And God, I pray that you would so touch our hearts, each and every one of us. Help us, God. Help us, God, to be what you've called us to be.